Turn please in your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews. And we're going to start in chapter 12, but we're going to spend most of our time back in chapter 11. Why? Well, you'll understand in a minute. In chapter 12, it's written in verses 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, that is, surrounded with, so, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, which means to encircle us, and let us run with patience the race that is before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. A finisher actually means, and has within it the Greek, the idea of the perfecter of our faith. Our faith, our trust is perfected in Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then turn back to the beginning of chapter 11. Because you see in chapter 12, at the beginning of that, he's summing up, talking about this great cloud of witnesses. The people that have gone before us. The people who have gone through so much in their lives. Who have thought that when it was all over, it was actually just beginning. God had another plan for them. God was going to take care of them. And we can find such encouragement from this. The Bible tells us here in verse 1, Now faith is the substance of, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things that are seen were not made of things which do appear. Remember, the Bible is not a science book, but it was talking here about the things which do not appear. What are the things which do not appear that make up everything? Atoms. The Bible was ahead of it, way ahead of the world. And you see, the reason why we started in, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and then go back to chapter 11, is because this, this is the substance of what Paul was talking about. This was the courage, the hope that we have. And the reason it's divided like that in the Bible is because um, somewhere along the line, verses were introduced in 1551. Um, 1551 in the New Testament and Old Testament. Verses and chapter headings, they came in earlier and they were just put in as a study guide. They're not Holy Scripture, unless you go to Psalms, in which case it is Holy Scripture, but not now, not yet. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why was the, uh, why was the sacrifice that Cain offered less excellent than Abel's? Because you see, oh, yes, He didn't follow God's instructions, yeah. That's a very important thing in the Bible. You see it throughout the Scriptures. Those who do not follow God's instructions to the letter are in a lot of trouble with God, aren't they? God reinforces it by what happened to those who did not obey his will. Now, Cain might have offered even more than what Abel was offering. But the thing is, it's not what God wanted. It's not the same thing. And think about it. From a selfish point of view, imagine it's Christmas morning and you've been dropping hints to your parents for six months. You want to have a red bike, a red bicycle. And when you get down there, what do you have? Not 
a red bicycle, not a bicycle at all. You, you may have a, a car or a tank, but you wanted the bicycle. And so you're disappointed, you're let down. It's a simple command from God to give him what he wants. And when we don't give him what he wants, we let him down. So our excellence in service is not about the amount. It's not about the quality. It's about what he says. So when we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, we're baptized how many times for the forgiveness? Just once. Just once. Not two, three, four, or five different times. That's not what he requires. Just once. We could be baptized in Nevada milk, but we're not... We wouldn't be baptized because we're not supposed to be baptized in milk. We should be baptized in water. It's all about obedience to God, to the letter, which actually makes things a lot easier for us, doesn't it? So when we don't sacrifice according or give according or do according to what God wants, is it really because we're trying to give him more or is it really because we're trying to say, oh, we know better than you do? It's human pride getting in the way. It's about them. And it should be about God and humble service to him. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. It was to worship God as God wants, not as, our, as we would will it. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, which means he was right living. He wasn't better than everybody else. He was just right living because he obeyed God. God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. So his death, his being murdered for standing up and doing what was right in the eyes of God, stands as a witness to us this day, many thousands of years later. In verse 3 we read, By faith Enoch was translated, which means transported, that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had te this testimony that he pleased God. Now, is that not the best testimony that somebody could have of us in our lives? That we pleased God? What a great thing to leave your children, more than a house or money, that you pleased God. That you left behind you a legacy of love. Yes, Sandy. No, for a long time, the greatest word that I would want to hear is well done. Yes, the greatest words we all long to hear is well done, thou good, that thou good and faithful servant. They most certainly are. And we're not going to get there unless we are good and faithful servants and do exactly what he wants. Because this is his show. History is his story. That's clever, isn't it? But that, that's, that, that's what it is. It's his story. Thankfully, it's his story. But without faith, the Bible tells us, it is what? It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. What does Jesus say about seeking God? Matthew 6 verse 33. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So what does he mean by first? It means the kingdom of God comes before everything. 
What Christ wants comes before everything. Loyalty to God comes before everything. Because if we fail to obey God in anything, if we don't put him first in everything, that thing is an idol. That thing is coming before God. And with a great many people, that thing is the God that they see when they look in the mirror. You know that song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I try not to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. Can't you just think of a lot of people that would suit? I've seen people stop by a mirror and they're like a cat. Just, and I'm talking men here and we're not supposed to be vain. Stop me and go like this, looking at the mirror. <laughs> oh, God must come first in all things. Otherwise, it's self-worship. In verse 7 we read, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So, it's very interesting talking about our ancestry. We love to trace it back, and I've done it myself. In fact, for a small time, I worked as a genealogist. Got to be careful how you spell that genealogist. So I know a lot about people's names and their backgrounds and there's something that is quite evident in the Bible. It doesn't matter who you are in the world today or where you come from. You are a descendant of Adam and you are a descendant of Eve. But more than that, you are a descendant of Noah, his wife, his three sons, Ham, Sham and Japheth and their wives. The whole human race is descended from those eight people. You know, there's about 7 billion people in the world today. And I'm fascinated by numbers and figures. If you, take seven, if you take that 7 billion people and you deduct it by generations of how many people there were, well, there's 7 billion people in the world today. When I was born in 1971, I think there was maybe 3 billion people in the world. In 1800, there was 800 million people in the world. At the time of Christ, there was 200 million people in the world. And 4,000, give or take two or 300 years ago, how many people were there in the world? Eight. It goes right back to Noah in the ark. So if you send eight people to the planet Mars, in about 4,400 years, there's going to be seven billion up there. In fact, there should be a lot more people in the world today, but there isn't because there were so many plagues that came along and, and killed so many people along the way in wars. That's absolutely remarkable. You've heard of the theory of evolution. Well, if evolution is true and humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years and our ancestors before that supposedly ape-like beings around for millions of years, there should be so many bones on the face of the earth. It wouldn't be a problem to prove evolution. And yet, here's the thing. After hundreds of years of searching for proof of evolution, do you know what they found? They found it actually exists in two places. They have a complete record in two places of how we're descended from an ape-like creature that became into a human. And you know where those two places are? They're in people's minds and on the bit of paper they put it on. That's it. It's not there. Anytime they found anything that even closely resembles evolution, you see it being not evolution but rather devolution where something more advanced, a more advanced kind of ape, got sick. And the bones of, of, the, of their children or their, their grandchildren have degraded 
not evolve. Yes, bring me the evidence. And when there is no evidence, it all falls apart really quickly. Strange world, isn't it? But we're all descended from Noah. Every human being, in fact, everyone on the planet is related to each other within 11 places. Think about that. We're not that different after all. In verse 8 we read, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. And where he lived, he lived temporarily. Well, you know, turn over to Psalm 1 verse 1. Psalm 1 verse 1 is reputedly written by David. Well, the scriptures say it was written by David about Abraham. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's talking about Abraham not walking according to what the ungodly had said to him because they were saying to him, are you crazy? You're going into the wild west. There was nothing there at that time. Except a few cities, some rather nasty cities too, and some very vicious tribesmen, but he just trusted God and went out and did as he was told. By faith he sojourned there, he lived temporarily there, in the land of promise. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacle, tabernacles, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now remember, Abraham left everything he had known. He'd left his country, he'd left his home, he'd left his family to go after God to search after him. That's not an easy thing to do. Believe me. You miss your family. You miss an entire generation of your family growing up. But you do it because you trust God and you love him. And it is an honor, not a sacrifice to praise God. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. She knew that God would trust, would, would obey. Now, how many people here are like 99 years old? Now you're not 99. <laughs> well, imagine how many years you have to go before you hit 99. And if God came and said, guess what, you're going to have a baby. You'd laugh, wouldn't you? Well, she did laugh. And in fact, the name Isaac means she laughs. Just, that's what his name means. And yet, from Isaac came the nation of Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God knows what he's doing. He's never not known what he's doing. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. 
So the advice of the scriptures is to follow after God, to continue searching after him, to not go back. Don't turn around. And we know what happened when Lot's wife turned around. She was turned to a pillar of salt and she was lost. And there were terribly tragic consequences because of it. I can't wait to get, I hope I get to Moses. That's why I get to Moses here. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 20, please. 1 Thessalonians 2. And verse 20. For ye are our glory and joy. So what are we going to find in that city? But our glory and joy, which is Jesus Christ. He's worth leaving home for, isn't he? Turn over to Revelation 3 and verse 16. It says... And this tells us about how we should be in our lives, in serving Christ, in serving God, so that we do get to that city, that new Jerusalem, heaven that we so long and desire to be, to be with Christ. Here Christ is talking, he actually wrote a letter to a church that wasn't doing what Christ had said. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And what does spew mean? It means to vomit. It means to, to, to literally vomit them out of his mouth because they weren't doing what Christ said. And when you don't do what Christ says, it's not Christ's church anymore, is it? And that's just not good enough for our Lord, nor should it be. By faith, Abraham, when he was tired, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him a figure. Now we know that when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, God stopped it. But God did not stop the sacrifice of his own son for our sake, so that we could be with him. And we can see when we look at the examples of scriptures, this cloud of witnesses that can turn to us and say, yes, God is faithful. No matter what you go through in life, no matter what betrayal, no matter what trial, God is faithful. He will not leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you unto the end. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau according concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. He wanted them returned so that his bones would dwell with his own people. But that's not where his spirit walked. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child. He was a good child. He was a healthy baby. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. If you remember, the pharaohs had been told to kill all the firstborn children of the Israelites. To put them all down. Because they were afraid of their numbers. They were afraid they might rise up 
and take over and conquer them. How terribly sad. Of course, prophetically we can see this as Satan's attempt to wipe out the bloodline from which Christ would come. And it wouldn't be the last time. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, Moses is a fantastic person in the Bible. I, I just love reading about him. You can divide his life into three series of 40 years. You know what they are? 40 years, a prince in Egypt. And as a prince in Egypt, he had everything. He was even a potential pharaoh. He could have become a pharaoh. Now, being part of the Egyptian royal family, you were, you were basically a living god, mixed with being a famous rock star or a movie star. You could do anything. You had all the riches of the world. But what did Moses do about that? Well, the Bible tells us quite clearly in the next verse, verse 26, esteeming, which means considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The Bible tells us that by faith he forsook Egypt and fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest that he be that lest that lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Moses was 40 years a prince in Egypt, had everything. He gave it all up for God. For 40 years, he was a shepherd in the desert. And he had almost nothing compared to what he had before. Everything had come from his father-in-law Jethro, even his wife. By faith, he endured. And the last 40 years of his life, when he was 80, when most of us are considering retiring, or making sure our lives are in order because we're going to see God soon, so we better be right with him, huh? At 80 years old, Moses was chosen by God to start his mission. I've always been told preachers don't retire, they just fade away. I know of one preacher who was getting ready to get up to preach, and they called him, and I, I think his name was John. They said, Brother John, the prayer's been said, you've got up and preach. And they went over and they touched him and he, he just killed over. He died. He died while, the, while he was praying. I thought, what a way to go. He was getting ready up to preach the king's word and then he was going to see the king. Because when he opened his eyes, he seen Jesus. And I have every confidence that he did say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a way to go. Hey, yeah. Uh, in 26, mm -hmm. where it says that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater, greater riches than the treasures of, of Egypt, it is interesting because obviously Christ the man had not been born at that point. Mm -hmm. yeah. so this would have been you know, the, the Christ from the, from the beginning. Yeah, it would be the, the promise because they knew the Messiah was coming. And for every, every Jewish girl was, would hope that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. That's why it was such a terrible thing in their culture if, if a woman was barren or if she couldn't have a child. It was their hope they'd, be given, they'd give birth to the, to the Messiah. 
And when it says the reproach of Christ, in, in modern English, the Greek meaning of it carries with it the idea of the compensation of Christ, of the riches in Christ being far greater than any of the riches of Egypt. And believe you me, if you were alive at that time, you wanted to be in Egypt. You certainly did. If you, were anywhere, if, we, if you were in Europe at that time, there was a good chance you'd be running because you didn't want to end up as food from other people. Europe was definitely the dark continent at that time, most certainly. By faith he passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. Now, turn over to Exodus 12 and verse 7. Exodus 12 and verse 7. I, I just loved it. In Exodus 12 and verse 7, we read of the events which led to what happened at the Red Sea. It was about the, the, the passing over of the Hebrews, the angel of death. And they shall take of the blood, and remember this blood was the blood of a lamb, and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So what did that look like? If you imagine here as being a doorpost, they put the blood of the lamb here, here, and at the top, where the blood dripped, making the sign of the cross. How's that for foreshadowing? And it was by being covered by the cross, by the blood of the innocent lamb, that the angel of death, of judgment, passed over them. That's not a coincidence. The Bible's full of these amazing things. And then it talks about how they were, how they passed over onto the other side of the Red Sea. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Now, if you can picture this, it was hopeless. Their backs were to the sea. The most powerful military in the world was coming down upon them to massacre them. And they couldn't. They wouldn't be able to do anything. They couldn't fight the Egyptians. At that time, they were the superpower of the day. And they were a superpower for thousands of years. You did not mess with the Egyptians. It was hopeless, right? But God opened the sea. And they passed through it and they were saved by God. There was no doubt who saved them that day. Moses even said, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name in Exodus 15. The Lord looked after them. So even though they were standing with the water at their back and they didn't know what was going to happen, they thought they'd either be slaughtered or pushed into the sea and drowned, God opened the waters and they passed through. And that's what we must do in life when we come up to crises. Head straight for the Red Sea. Not literally the Red Sea, you could, you may have fun today if you can get in, but head literally for that figurative Red Sea. God will open it. God will open it. He's opened it every time for me in my life. And he will for you as well because you know what? God cares for you. Even if the world turns against you, God cares for you. Even if you're on your own, God cares for you because you're never truly alone when you trust in him when we look at these examples of scripture we can say that no matter what these people went through rather if it was 
the forsaking of them by their friends, their family. God was with them and God seen them through. In verse 30 we read, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. I turn over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. There's something very interesting here. Getting there. there and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obad begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, David the ancestor of our Lord. Bows of Rahab. Now who do you suppose they're talking about? Right here, remember, it was the biggest blessing you could imagine for, for, for any of the, of the Jewish women to give birth to the Messiah, or even to give birth to someone who was in the line of the Messiah. And Rahab, the harlot who others would have looked down upon and treated like dirt, was chosen to be one of the carriers of the seed of promise that would lead to the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were, to were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Turn over to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 11, please. Revelation 22 and verse 11. Now, this is a fascinating verse that some, some don't really understand, but I explain it. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. The meaning of this is, is that if we, like the faithful children of God of old, 
whom God protected no matter what trials and tribulations, tribulations, struggles and, and betrayals they went through in their lives are faithful at the time of our deaths we will be with him it also says he that is unjust let him be unjust still the book of Revelation is telling us that the state in which we're found in when we die will be the state in which we will be judged by God Looking at the example of these people we've talked about, of David, of Moses, of Noah, of Abraham, they were all faithful to God. Yes, they made mistakes in their lives, but they still remained faithful unto the end. They were found to be righteous in his sight, and they're there as examples to us today. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. So outside Christ, you cannot be made perfect in God's sight. We are to run the race with total confidence. And that's where we come back up to chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, which means therefore, Seeing we also, and that means consider all that's just been said in that verse, those verses we just went through. Seeing we also are surrounded, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset, which is hinder us. What is the sin that so easily besets us in our lives when we're surrounded by the enemy? It is the sin of worry. Yes, worry is a sin. Because when we worry, we doubt God's ability to handle it. God's got it. No matter what, God has got it. God will judge. And we must remain ever faithful to him in our lives. For Christ is the perfecter of our faith. We must trust in him with all that we are for all who he is. When we look back upon the saints of the Bible throughout the Old and the New Testament, we find that they were always persecuted for doing what was right, for standing up for the truth, for being BC and not PC, biblically correct and not politically correct. You see, what's important to God is that we do things according to his ways. It's more important to God that we do not offend him than offend other people. And as you know, it's so easy to offend other people. A lot of people are going around just looking to be offended. Well, better an empty church than an offended God. We are surrounded by wonderful witnesses of God's faithfulness and truth. Let us rest in his promises. And he will see us right. Thank you for your attention.